that, uh, let us take a moment to pray together. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for this glorious day on this glorious part of your creation. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. Before I uh, launch into the sermon, I just want to remind folks that you can read these online on, your we- on the website for St. George's, so some of this might be, uh, yeah, just you know, take it in, what parts come in and what, uh, what don't. Maybe it all does. I'm just saying it'll be there to reread. So, All right, let us begin. I have uh, quite the habit of collecting books. Uh, I've been doing this ever since I began studying in my 20s, and because I was a student, I was forever foraging in used bookstores. I'd even stop in small towns while driving through BC and comb through the local thrift store just in case there was a good volume to be found among the Daniel Steele and all the old cookbooks. One time, I can't remember how long ago it was, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I found this little blue hardcover with a curious title, The Unfinished Universe. On the inside of the dust jacket, it said, a great, a great creative process is taking place in the universe, one in which we take part, for mankind is not only a witness, but a participant. Well, I thought that sounded intriguing enough, so I bought it and stuffed it away somewhere on my growing wall of Ikea bookshelves, not to open it again for many years. Little did I know at that time that this new understanding of cosmology... Uh, which the Unfinished Universe, which was published in 1986, would be among you know, the first uh, books to herald, that this cosmology would become a big part of my intellectual and spiritual life. And little did I know that I would one day walk into a church where the pastor was doing a version of Christianity based on this new cosmology, and that I would be inspired to go into ministry, changing my life forever. As it turns out, this little blue book was an omen glowing in an old brown box, whispering to me from my future, from my latent future. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about this new cosmology and the theologies that, have, uh, that are embracing it. Uh, over the course of May and June, I led a small group on this topic here at St. George's. Um, it was a good group, which included Katerina and Margot and Alana and Deb and, and Ula and also Peter at the beginning got sick. And I think everyone got something out of our time together. So what I want to do today is just to tell you a little bit about what we learned. I'm probably I'm going to add some parts to that. But I want to tell you a little bit about what we learned to sort of feed that back into the congregation. So hang on to your hats. We're about to take a wild ride through the new movements in theology that are embracing cosmology and evolution and talk about what this means for how we understand God how we understand Jesus, and what it means for the future of life on this planet. So the new cosmology tells a story, as probably many of you know, you're probably readers in this area, but it tells a story of a universe that came into being 13.8 billion years ago and has been evolving ever since. After the Big Bang, there was only hydrogen gas, but over vast scales of time, particles formed, then galaxies, then stars, then planets then cellular, cellular life on planets, then the biological world emerged, and then eventually humans and human culture came into being. Now, there's two main things I want to pull out of that story for our purposes today. 
First, that there are, there are observable patterns to what the universe has been doing throughout this vast cosmic history that I just said in five words. It has, and, and some of these patterns that we can recognize is, is that it's moving towards increasing order, increasing complexity, and increasing consciousness, or by consciousness, the increasing depth of self-awareness within beings. Now, one saying that in our small group that we read from our readings that we're all really struck by, and that one that takes a long time to really take in, maybe years and years, is that in human beings, the, uh, the cosmos has become conscious of itself. In human beings, cosmos has become conscious of itself. The interior conscious dimension of the universe has now developed to such a degree, at least here on Earth, that the cosmos includes creatures that can contemplate the cosmos itself. That's a pretty mind -bending, uh, amazing and mind-bending thing to consider. But the important point here really is just that the, the universe is not just some random uh, stuff randomly smashing about, but is following patterns of self-organization over time. The universe is up to something and we can track those patterns. Uh, the second main thing to note about this cosmic story is that it's not deterministic. That's a fancy word that, you know, deterministic. But there wasn't some clockmaker god who wound the thing up and then let it run according to a predetermined plan. No, the universe creates or contains truly novel things that could, have been, could not have been predicted from what came before it. Now, although we do see patterns in the evolution of the cosmos as... We just said, the future of the cosmos is unknown. It's unfinished, to use that title of that book I found. Now, the scientific word for this non-determined dimension of the cosmos, or of cosmic evolution, is emergence. Things emerge in the process of cosmic evolution that are truly new. And they're not just combinations of what came before it. There's actually a new entities come into being. The universe is alive and it's unfolding in creative new ways. And because of this, we can never know what the future holds. The future is unwritten. So how does this all relate to God and to Jesus and our own spiritual lives? Now, much of what I'm going to tell you uh, comes from the growing field of theology called open and relational theology. I was at VST a couple weeks ago and we had a, a guy named Thomas J. Ord who comes out of the evangelical tradition. He was teaching a class in this area. He was one of the leaders of this field. Uh, he was also fired from his university for having these views. It was a more conservative university, as you may imagine. Anyhow, so, yeah, open and relational. Theology is an umbrella term for theologies that are embracing the cosmic story that I just described very briefly. Now, the term open refers to what we just said. The future is open. Not even God knows the future. Now, this might seem startling to some of you who grew up with the classical view of God as omniscient or all-knowing. A supreme being must know everything, including the future, right? That's what Calvin and Luther both thought. But this new theological understanding rejects this point. In a universe that's free and unfolding, like the one science is discovering, there is no pre-existing divine plan for creation. God does know all of the possibilities for the future, 
but God does not know which way creation will choose to go. The cosmic novel is being written in real time. So how does God relate to the world then? In an open and relational view, God does indeed relate to beings in an ongoing and very intimate way. God's not some distant sky God, totally different and separate from the cosmos. In this view, God's primary nature is understood as love, as the Bible says. But the nature of love, if we reflect upon it, is not to be controlling or coercive. We don't love someone by controlling them. So God gives birth to the cosmos and sustains it on a moment-to-moment basis. We often call God the sustainer. But God does not control it or intervene in it. The cosmos contains genuine free will. So how then does God relate to us if it's not, if God cannot intervene in that Monty Python kind of hand from the sky kind of way? God is omnipresent or present everywhere in the universe. God is within everything, including us, wooing us, whispering to us to choose the more beautiful future that God wants to come into being. Jesus called that future the kingdom of God, a world in which love and justice and equality would reign. But God can't force or strong arm that future into being. God must allure creatures like us to participate with God in bringing about that future. There's a line in the Talmud that says, every blade of grass has its angel that bends over it and whispers, grow, grow. That's how God relates to us, always alluring us to grow in the direction of love. And as Paul says, God puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that voice is close by. But we must choose it. In every decision we make, we have multiple options in front of us. We can choose on a spectrum from love to full-blown evil. Of course, we're never fully free in our choices. We are, of course, influenced by our culture and our biology and our moment in history and our families and so on. But we do always have some modicum of free will despite these restraints and God's constantly wooing us to choose the next right thing. That's the heart of our spiritual practice, this moment by moment choosing to act a little more in the image of God. And of course, we often fail or stray off course. We are, after all, human, all too human. But when we stray off course, we turn back and we turn back and we try once again to choose the actions that will bring a little bit more of the kingdom of God into being. And of course, things like prayer and worship together, uh, singing, reading scripture can all help us become capable and more primed to choose the direction of love. Now, our exemplar for this life lived in the image of God is, of course, Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh, as we heard in John. But what does this mean exactly? The word uh, is the logos or the, or the mind of God. So the word is interchangeable with logos, and logos means the mind of God. But in the Old Testament, it's interesting, that same word is just referred to as wisdom. And in many places, including our readings today, the Bible asserts that the mind of God or wisdom of God is working throughout all of creation. 
It's God's active power in the physical world, alluring all things to evolve in its image. Now, for those of you who like to read in other religions like I do, uh, this wisdom or this logos is very much like the Tao in Taoism. The Tao is seen as an eternal way that flows through all things. And the Taoist master is the one who aligns with this Tao and fully embodies it. This is what Jesus does in the Christian tradition too. Jesus is the human being who fully opened up to the logos or the divine wisdom. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John, anyone who sees me sees the Father. So if we wanted to see what the divine looks like when fully aligned with the human form, uh, we can see that in Jesus. But when we look at Jesus from a, deep t- or from a cosmic perspective, from the deep time perspective of 13 billion years of cosmic evolution, I think we can see two additional and important things about who he was. We can see that Jesus is not some supernatural being who flew down to earth and then did his thing only to fly off again. No, Jesus is the product of this epic story of cosmic evolution. This is how the Catholic theologian Elia Delio puts this point. The body of Jesus, like every human body, is made from cosmic dust birthed in the interior of ancient stars that long predated our planet and solar system. The iron that ran through his veins, the phosphorus and calcium that fortified his bones, the sodium and potassium that facilitated the transmission of signals through his nerves, all make the incarnation a truly cosmic event. So Jesus comes up out of the cosmos and it took millions of years of evolution to create the conditions for his emergence or someone like him or her to emerge. So Jesus is thoroughly an inside job. But even more than this, I think importantly, Jesus tells us where this cosmic story is headed or could be headed. Paul called Jesus the first fruits of a new creation. In Jesus, we get a little taster of what's possible, of where cosmic evolution might go if creatures choose it. Jesus is a herald, a sign, an indicator of what the future could be if we listen and respond to God's perpetual allurement. But, of course, there's no guarantee that we will respond that way because real freedom truly exists in the cosmos. And life is pretty touch and go on this planet at the moment, as we all know. The story being written here on Earth might turn out to be a tragedy, but it also might not. We don't know because the future is unwritten. And I think that's one of the two important takeaways that I wanted to leave folks with today from this new theological and cosmological perspective. I know that there's a growing amount of depression and resignation about the future of life on Earth. I read an article last week that said, climate, climate despair is making people give up on life. The article says that it's super painful to be human right now at this point in history. I had a minister friend tell me last week that her two teenage daughters don't even think about what profession they might go into one day because they just assume there's to be no future at all. 
It's a very, what's the point of even thinking about these things then, they think. This is heartbreaking stuff to hear. And I understand it, truly. But I think we need to realize this truth that the future is open. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing is predetermined, including total planetary disaster. Sure, the heat is on and the walls are closing in. I will grant that. But nothing is certain. So let's not give up hope on a story that is still being written. And even more importantly, God needs us to co-create that future. God can't do it alone. God's eternal and undying love means that God has let creation be truly free. So God needs creatures to participate in bringing about the world God desires. That's why in the Bible, God is constantly seeking out human partnership, coming to Abraham and Moses and Jesus and the other prophets, making a covenant with the Israelites, enlisting everyone from wise men to shepherds to work on God's behalf. God's always seeking out creaturely partnership to bring, out, bring about the kingdom of God. If we give in to despair now collectively, we will guarantee there's no future worth living because it can't be done without us. And this might seem like a daunting responsibility, a heavy burden. I don't feel that way. I think it's exciting. It imbues life with an incredible amount of meaning and purpose. We matter to the future of life on the planet. Our actions affect the course of cosmic evolution. Of course, we do need to be careful about falling prey to hubris and allowing our only our human egos to direct that story. A lot of damage in the history when we do that. But if we do spend time in prayer and silence, we'll become more capable of hearing where God's calling us and uh, we'll better discern what needs to be done. So friends, I say let's stay the course and keep fighting the good fight. The beautiful future, future Jesus revealed is still calling to us, still there waiting. Let's keep trying to choose love in each, each next moment, and let's reject those forces that are constantly trying to divide and conquer us. Together, we are strong. As the Bible tells us many times, if we partner with God, anything is possible, anything. So let's stick that divine promise in our cosmic hat and together unveil that glorious future that's waiting for us on the other side of the storm. Amen.